welcoming everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation. You can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, longhornrepublicpod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's never been inside a Hooters, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? I wouldn't even pretend to to make a claim as such. My uh I, I was I was actually talking to someone about this this week after some news uh, came out related to the the chain. I have uh, and, and a great aunt, I guess, God bless her soul, the matriarch of, of like eight sisters uh, of my grandmother's sisters, the oldest, um, who I think uh, on her deathbed, her, her one regret was that she only got to like 40 different Hooters locations and she wanted uh, to hit 50. So, um, you know, uh, the, the, the extended family, it's in the blood, you know, the, uh, the great wings and, uh, you know, delicious fried pickles as well. A decent burger, you know, and, uh, and friendly service with a smile. So Hooters, feel free to sponsor us. <laughs> I was trying to give you an out there, Kyle. I was trying to give you the easy out. Uh, and you just absolutely didn't take it. So if you missed the news, Keandre Coburn landed uh, a marquee NIL deal with the Hooters wing chain, depending on what they're known for, depending on you know who you are and what you're into. That's fine. No judges here. But uh, yeah, so Snacks Coburn officially uh, gets the Snacks NIL deal mm-hmm. that he has been wanting. Posted a great picture of him enjoying some wings and some fried pickles on uh, on the internet. And so that was a funny anecdote that we had to talk about. Uh, nothing else other than that. Nothing really to discuss. But um, yeah, much unlike Kyle, my father, uh, and I want to tell the story live because I want to see. So when we saw that, my my dad, Jerry, there's a there's a Hooters in our hometown, uh, near our hometown, and my father, the the man he is, was the pastor of the local Methodist church, and he also is a man that loves chicken wings. <laughs> they did like a, a, a thirty nine cent wing deal one day. But my dad refused to go inside. This was before curbside was a thing. And it wasn't advertised anywhere that it was dine-in only. And so he gets in an argument with the manager of the Hooters. And they finally bring the wings out to his car. The man just wanted some wings. He didn't want to go into the Hooters. I, That's Jerry Goodridge for I, you. I want wings with a side of principle. Um uh, you know, the the Rev is 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 a is a man of virtue and principle, and in all things, good taste. So he wanted the wings, uh, but none of none of the the smoke. I I appreciate uh, that story a lot, knowing your dad as well as I do. That's perfect, actually. The fact that he didn't back down, he was gonna get his steal. Uh, it it checks all the historic boxes of the man that I know and love. <laughs> so we're not here to talk about wings. We're here to talk about shooting from the wing, Texas. Mm. Basketball on the court had a good week last week, but dropped the game against Baylor earlier on Monday. That's why we're recording on Tuesday, obviously. Number one baseball rolling right now. Pitching is hot, hot, hot. Championship weekend on the campus. So we'll down the championship 40 for you. Catch up on all that. We'll close the show out with some burnt orange lenses, Godzilla Tron, and all that fun 
stuff. So the Longhorns were looking good. Went 2-0 last week, rallied for a win over TCU, a late nine-point win, and then held off West Virginia in a late-game comeback, 82-81. to Looked like they were going to extend that winning streak even farther, but gave up a big double-digit lead to the Baylor Bears and fell 68-61 to in the final men's basketball game in the Irwin Center. Kyle, there's a lot to talk about, but as we really think about just holistically looking back at these last three games, what does that tell you and where about where Texas is at heading into the final stretch of the regular season and the conference tournament season? Well, um, if you take the 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 bookends of, of this, basically, um, the, the TCU game had a beautiful run in it, ultimately, but was ugly for, for a majority of it. Good for them rallying. Um, but the, the same item that hamstringed them was exactly what you said, the shooting from the wing. The um, the first of their three games since we last recorded, they shot and won in a game where they shot 7.1% from beyond the arc. I don't know that you can do that in the modern era. You know, like maybe maybe Wilt Chamberlain, uh, when the three-point line was was instituted, there were teams who did that at some point, but that you, just, you can't do that. Uh, one for 14. No. They improved at 10 percentage points for a <laughs> paltry 17%, four for 23 against Baylor. Um, but the Baylor game, a seven-point loss, really was a was a one- or two-possession game the entire game. It's a little bit inflated. It was, yeah. it was probably about a three-point loss, realistically. If Texas hits one, two, three, if they hit an, an average percentage – of of three pointers, they win this by eight points. Like that, that I'm not being exaggerating. You know, they, they Beard said after the game in that one, 17 or 18 of the 23 looks uh, were, were were what he called good looks. And I went back and watched it, um, and and I very clearly got to 15 that were like ace looks. You know, those out of those 15 with that much space and in rhythm, you just expect that you hit 10 of those. Like those are the shots that you draw. That's good offense. And as much as we've derided the Beard offense all season, you have to think if if the shooters on the floor who, who you know, a lot of them, a lot of the better shooters who we got in the portal, we didn't get a bunch of sharp shooters really, but a lot of the better shooters are the guys who remain on campus. It's Ramey, it's Jones, uh, and it's historically Febris. And so um, if those guys, you know, stay at their career average or, or you know, improve, then then they probably win three extra games this year, including this one against Baylor. Um, it, it, it is something to watch. It's something to watch as they finish out their season and, and go into postseason play. Something to watch when you think about the team construction for next year and who comes back and who Beard looks for in the portal. To me right now, if you just had a shooter that you could guarantee, like what Jace Febres was all before the injuries, a guy you could just stick out there and know that he could just knock down three-pointers because they're getting the looks, even in the slow offense, the offense would look a lot better in the metrics. It would feel a lot better if they just hit those. I think... Again, this team has a much higher ceiling. Not to say that the style of play doesn't change when you get in the tournament, but, man, someone who can hit three-pointers, who can hit shots, uh, that would make me feel a lot better. That's that's my big takeaway from from this series of games. It was this weird situation where, like like you said, if Andrew Jones or, you know, Jace Fabres or any of those guys hit their season average, Texas is up by more than just 10 points. They're probably up by 12 or 15. I counted, and this was, this was I was multitasking because I have children, but, like, 
there was there were at least a couple of those like fast break three pointers that if you knock those down, Texas has nine or twelve extra mm-hmm. uh, fast break points in that game. Where mm-hmm. those are like you said, good looks that used to fall. But I think the the on the other end of the spectrum, one of the things that that was frustrating about, especially the Baylor loss, and we'll just camp out here because that's the most prescient thing to talk about, is at the end of the game when you're still within a couple of possessions and Baylor is in the bonus, you're not attacking and you're settling for, I saw Marcus Carr a couple of times kind of pull up and take a, you know, a, a mid-range jumper rather than attack and make the refs call something. And that was what I what I would prefer to see from him, especially when it's, when it's getting time. When it's getting time, when it's go time, he's a guy that absolutely needs to be aggressive. And Texas had some success with that. And you know what? If you drive and have an opportunity to kick it out and see if somebody can knock one down, again, that's a good look in that offense. And, and so for, for me, that was the frustration late was that Texas I feel like was almost over aggressive in some spots and then they kind of backed off and were not as aggressive when it should have been time to do it and I think part of that does have to do with the way that that game was called that game was called weirdly like they they were as it closed out, they were pretty touchy, I think, with the whistles, at least in my opinion. And I'm not blaming the refs because they called it pretty even on both sides uh, as far as the touchiness goes. And so I don't know if that if that timidity was, was beaten into them with the whistles, but there is something to be said about knowing when to flip that switch. And I still don't know if Marcus Carr, as the guy who's kind of supposed to be the guy for this team, I don't know if he quite has it figured out yet. And again, we are one regular season game away from a postseason tournament. As we 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 talk about coming to the end, this is this is the 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 last game at the Irwin Center, the last uh, home game of the season. It's it's senior night, and you you kind of. We're curiously watching because of the transfer portal, because of coming off of COVID. Everyone has weird eligibility. No one knows how much time anyone has left. Uh, but one of the things that we do know is that Marcus Carr didn't rule out coming back. He didn't walk with the seniors, so he isn't necessarily uh, declaring that he's done. Um, so it'll be curious. I've heard a lot of conversation about him and where he goes if he falls more into a two guard role with a with a kind of penetrator to initiate the offense and and if if Carr is attacking the ball it's off of rotation as kind of a two guard getting the ball in the perimeter and 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 having you know a weaker belly of the defense to 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 attack um Arterio Morris it would be a true freshman but he's an incredibly talented one um and, and has an unbelievable upside so if if he comes in next year and is the the main uh, on ball force and, and, you know, Devin, uh, ask you can take a step up and he continues to do what he does best, which is, you know, break down defenses and penetrate. There's some things in his game that, that he needs to work on. Um, it's interesting where Carr kind of fits in there. Um, but, but anyways, that's all to say, we'll, we'll look forward. We'll look at the future going on, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think the, the other thing to take away from this series of games is that, Texas fought and hung tough in the two games they won, even though, again, West Virginia is last in the Big 12. They are by far, and this is such a weird thing to say, the, the best last place team in any conference in the country. <laughs> like, I, I legitimately think both, you know, the, the teams that, that they beat, West Virginia and TCU, if they're in, say, the ACC, are in the, the, the field of 64 or going to the tournament, right? I, I, it's tough. They're likely uh, at least one or, or both of those will get left out um, because they have to play in the Big 12, but they're both good teams. But in both of those games, Texas came back from double-digit 
deficits. Um, and that's saying something, right? Like it, it, for a team where we, we talked about their propensity to have scoring droughts, and I'm not saying that's fixed, um, but also a team that we say, you know, their offense isn't quite as explosive. They put up 75 against a, a good defensive team in TCU and 82 against a really good defensive team in West Virginia who was in, in front of a sellout crowd at home and wanted to make it difficult. They put up 82 points and again came back from double digits and there was a point in the game when it looked like West Virginia took that game and was going to you know give Texas a kind of an ugly loss that we, you and I both said in our uh, article on Bernoulli's Nation this was, wasn't a must win game but it was a really nice win for seeding and for momentum and for all those things with the tough two games that they close on um, and Texas found a way to pull it out right and and so you know I, I think Timmy Allen takes some credit for, for that um, and, and he was named the, the Big 12 Newcomer of the Week kind of for his efforts in those two games averaging almost 22 points, 8.5 rebounds, 2.5 assists and 1.5 steals um in the he played a lot of minutes in both of those games uh they shot you know good from the free throw even though the threes weren't always working I, I, it was there was something to be said that's the other thing three point shooting is the is the storyline to watch and that's not a new one but the fight that they showed is the other storyline that i think kind of came out of this that i was a little bit interested in and 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 you know they showed that fight against a good, really good number three. I mean, and, and playing well with really good guard play, like a good Baylor team that would not shock me if they're a Final Four kind of team. They're, they're very good, and Texas should have won that game. So the fact that, that, you know, we'll see as it gets a little more physical, as it gets a little more sloppy, as stuff breaks down, um, and it, the going gets tough if Texas is is instilling a kind of a march culture um, and can can do something. Think about Vic Schaefer's Cinderella run last year by playing really nasty defense on teams that aren't used to seeing it and just kind of strangling offense's productivity. The blueprint might just be there for this Texas team to do something if the matchups kind of fall their way. I'm trying not to get too high or too low about sure. about this team because I think that's this is a team that I think has the potential to win a couple of games in the tournament, but I also think it's a team that has the potential to absolutely frustrate the fire out of you in the tournament. So I think we, we have to be cognizant of that fact is that Texas will have opportunities to play really good basketball. They have opportunities to play uh, exceedingly frustrating basketball. And I just, for me, I think in the first year of Chris Beard, we have to really uh, have a measured hand when we think about that because I don't necessarily know. He, Grant, he did build the whole thing out of the transfer portal. But... I don't think he has the quite the team composition or team makeup uh, that he would want. And I'm curious to see, like you say, what Texas will look like when Chris Beard has a true point guard. Because I think you're absolutely right. Marcus Carr is probably playing out of position. He's probably not the guy who needs to be the trigger man on the offense. He seems to be a guy who thrives really well when somebody else is kind of making and creating the offense and he gets to be the scorer. And so I'm, I'm curious if that's part of why he didn't walk on senior night because he knows there's a kid coming in next year uh, that will be able to play the point guard position and really run the offense and he can be a scorer and maybe he granted he's old but he may have an opportunity to to look at an, uh, an NBA future because of his opportunity to, to create and make in that in that offense I, I absolutely agree with you Gerald and and uh, I, I was just thinking we didn't really hit on it we mentioned it as a note but I think you know let's take just a second and and think on the fact that 
that was the the last game that we'll see in the regular season with the men playing. There's still you know some basketball uh, on the women's side, um, and potentially on the women's side some hosting uh, is is seems likely depending where their seed is. Um, but uh, it, it's closing out the men's basketball in the Irwin Center, and you, you and I have have been to games, watched games, covered games uh, there. Um, do you have a particular? memory to to share with the fans from from the Irwin Center oh man it's for me and I put it out there on Twitter it's got to be the the Kevin Durant AC Law game Mm -hmm. like that's the one that I think people of like our age bracket that were Mm -hmm. there when KD was there like and I also feel like we're like the luckiest generation of Texas fans if you're if you are like of my exact age you got to be there for like Vince Young, Colt McCoy, Jamal Charles, Cedric Benson. You got a little bit like Roy Williams, I think the year before us, but like Kevin Durant, Cat Osterman, like the net, the, like Legends. the start of the national championship run uh, in, in volleyball, got a baseball national championship in there. Like I'm exceedingly lucky to have gone to the university of Texas when I did, but like that, like that, I have never, that team was disappointing in the postseason, And that was kind of a Rick Barnes special, but Watching Kevin Durant put the team on his back and knowing that that dude was special and seeing it like just how special he was, uh, that to me was like the the defining Irwin Center moment memory. I think that's my number one as well, and I'll never forget that I was in the upper deck for that one, and it was it was to the brim like that was a true sellout to the rafters. Fans stayed the entire time. Uh, AC Law gets a little bit underrated by people who aren't Aggies, and I hate to say that, but um, he was a really really good college basketball player. He was not incredible Kevin Durant good but he was legitimately like all-american level good you know he was he was really really solid didn't have obviously the pro career just his size uh that Durant and no one has the pro career that Durant had but nonetheless um he's been forgotten a little bit but it was an incredible back and forth battle um and again as I've mentioned on this podcast our good friend Mario uh changed his profile picture from uh Texas A&M swag to burn orange um so in, in some ways a homecoming for him based on his childhood uh rooting interest but I won't get into his personal business here uh, but if i have to give another one i think the uh the javon felix uh rebound and game winner against north carolina just because again that was the peak of north carolina being as bad as is and i mean that in the 90s sense uh as bad a dudes as as you know they they'd ever been they had that swagger and that uh prestige and mystique and i know the the, the recent years have, have a little bit lessened that um, but I mean, it, it just felt amazing. And then the, the fact that there's just been this streak of ways that we've beat North Carolina, uh, has been hilarious, feels but good. It, it feels great. Uh, but, um, but that one specifically, just that buzzer beater off a rebound, he put it in. I mean, that, that might be my number two. Um, I don't know. There, there've been, there've been some good ones. There've been some down ones, you know, that I was there to watch a number one team. Um, and, and, uh, they didn't hold that number one very long. You know, it's, it's there, there've been some tough moments as well um but you know all in all it's been it's been an era where again we're sitting here talking about that texas needs to be a sweet 16 team so it's been an era of enough success that we raise the expectations you know to the ceiling for this team so um really looking forward to the moody center but it is kind of fun to look back and think back uh on the Irwin center and you know covered some of my first sports games there right sitting in the press room in the Irwin Center next to you know Kurt Bowles writing on deadline you know it's uh uh that stuff's cool you know there's a lot of memories for me personally just in that building and so uh yeah I I, I will miss it but I I also think it's it's the best thing for Texas I'm excited for the future I was talking to my wife like the Irwin Center is has a ton of Texas basketball memory but it also is 
a concert venue that has just pretended to be a basketball yep. venue yep. for 50 years. And so Texas having a legitimate basketball venue will be a, a net positive. But we're not done with men's basketball. And obviously the Irwin Center still has some basketball to be played. The ladies still have some home games and uh, probably potentially will host some regional action in Austin as well. So we can't close the door on the Irwin Center just yet because those ladies uh, probably looking at what a, a two or a three seed, uh, which will be absolutely yeah. incredible uh, to have. But Texas men, next up for them, they'll close out the regular season at number six. Kansas going for the second consecutive season sweep of the Kansas Jayhawks. Say that five times fast. On Saturday, it's a 3 p.m. tip at Allen Fieldhouse, so you know the refs will be wild. <laughs> but that's going to be a national televised game by ESPN, and we'll talk about it all next week. The best baseball team in the land, the Texas Longhorns, uh, did what we hope will happen in the early September at Campbell Williams Field, but put it on in a defensive battle. Number one, the Alabama Crimson Tide swept them by a cumulative. Nine to one, which actually feels like an SEC football game somehow, uh, <laughs> but nine to one win over Alabama over the weekend. Obviously, Texas is currently playing right now, but there's not a ton of drama in that one. They're leading Sam Houston State ten to one in the top of the seventh. Uh, Andre Duplantier is pitching tonight and having a go. Of it, but so we'll talk about the weekend series. The pitching is continuing to be the story for Texas. Pete Hansen got the Friday start, pitched five, struck out eight, um, pulled tied, so he came away with a no decision. Um, Travis Steele came in and goes two innings, one gave up one hit and struck out one to get the win. Uh, Aaron Nixon got a long, a long-ish save, a couple kind of a story of the weekend for him. Long save, one, one, in, one, one and two, one point two. Inning save, picks up the second save of the year for him. Uh, and Texas took advantage of Alabama's kind of defensive miscues and, and pitching miscues uh, to go up in that one. Yeah, it was it was a pitcher's duel through and through. I mean, it was a it was a really good game. Like if you just watch uh, there's a there's a YouTube account called Wheels, I think, and they do college baseball games and they will put give you like the twelve minute um, recap. So there's your 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 uh, you should watch the, the games, but if you need to uh, catch a <laughs> recap when you miss it, you can go find that. Um, but it was it was um, I, I rewatched uh, all all three of these actually on there, and um, it was I rewatching it in that fashion where it just speeds up all of the stuff and it's just you know uh, all of the crucial kind of plays a lot of it was pitching obviously in some defense and uh some things there but uh it was a really good game you know it had a good it had a good story to it a good feel a good kind of ebb and flow where it kept you on the edge of your seat um and it's you know usually when you see those it's like eight to seven games with runs all over but this was a true pitcher's duel a true defensive duel. i mean alabama made some great defensive plays texas made some uh really great defensive plays uh in the field to, to protect their pitchers as well uh it was cold you know it was it was a tough night you had the ski masks out and everything um so it was hard to get the, the ball, you know, flying through the air when it gets cold. This stuff doesn't carry when you get the wind, of course, knocks stuff down. There was probably some unfair stuff for uh, uh, Silas Ardwin probably had an RBI, just crushed one that, that didn't get out. Um, Messenger had uh, what was for sure a home run off the bat that was caught at the warning track. I mean, just again, on a warmer night, those balls fly a little bit more. But actually on this one, uh, Bama out hit Texas 7-5, to five, but it was Texas being opportunistic, stringing together the right plays, getting the, uh, you know, uh, 
kind of smart base running and taking advantage of, of a, a wild pitch, which again to their catcher was just tough. Uh, a, a breaking ball that hit the front of the plate and shot way over his head. As a catcher, again, I empathize with any catcher, but uh, it was a good game, and, and you saw in a game that close, you have no room for mistakes in the in the bullpen in the arms. And I thought uh, Hanson, you know, did what he did right. His eight Ks and five innings, I thought he was great. Uh, and I thought you came in and get uh, Travis Steele is a guy who's who's just looking more and more like he's going to be a big part of this rotation. I don't know if I necessarily uh, knew just how big, um, but but came in and threw a good two innings. And then Aaron Nixon, just the 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 brass ones on him. Um, the fact that he, he walked his first batter to load the bases and then struck out uh, two innings in the uh, two batters in the eighth uh, with bases loaded on some nasty stuff. Um, fastball wasn't, he couldn't locate it the way he wanted to. So his, it was relying on his slider and no one could touch it. No one could get close when he threw that slider, um, but then got a runner to, to third in the ninth inning and got another two outs for the runner on third, uh, including getting a guy to pop up on a 57 mile per hour curveball. Maybe the only time I've ever seen him throw that pitch, just completely fooling him. Um, and you know, that was his, his put out pitch. Just again, showed some cojones must grande, but I was very breakfast tacos. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. But no, he, he was he was immense in this one, and I think Dre Duplantier would have probably won Texas a couple more games last year if he was there uh, and able to pitch. and And he may not have given up the closer role because um, he's real good. Uh, but Aaron Nixon has that that mentality. He's got that closers just like mean streak. You're not gonna get me. I'm gonna find a way to to gut this to 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 get you out. And I love it. I love the kid. That was again the story of of the weekend. He had. Uh, another long save later, and and the pitching continued to be uh, the story for again when the weather's bad, the pitchers uh, have to have to gut it out. So on Saturday, Tristan Stevens went six, gave up four hits, struck out four, got the win there. Luke Harrison got the save in this one though, went three innings, gave up a hit and struck out four. Faltini again came across the bag to take the lead thanks to a. RBI double from Doug Holdo. Uh, Melendez scored the insurance run in the fourth thanks to a sack fly uh, and an RBI single from Austin Todd. Again, Texas was out hit in this one, but the pitching we're going to talk about. I've got some stats in just a moment, but the pitching was was incredible, and, and that held through on Saturday and Sunday. And a stat that I like because it speaks to Texas hitters and Texas pitchers is, and I was looking at this whole series, was uh, not just you know the the base hit stats, but hitting with advancement opportunities. Although Texas was out hit five to four in this one, all four of Texas's hits they were four for eight uh, when at the plate with advancement opportunities. Bamos one for twelve. So again, that shows that Texas pitchers, um, you know, kind of stood up to the challenge. And when when Bama had threatening positions, they 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 rose uh, to the occasion. And Texas hitters did the same uh, when they needed to come up big. They made all their hits count. So again. That's how you win as a number one team when the weather's not great, when your bats aren't aren't firing, you know, as as much as you want to, or you're hitting, you know, rockets but they're getting caught. Uh, you know, you you have to find ways to just do everything, and they did it in the field, they did it on the base pass, they did it with timely hits stringing together their hits instead of, you know, you can have nine hits and have one an inning and it doesn't do a lot for you, you know, um, stringing hits together at the right time. I, I you know, I think winning a little bit ugly is is good especially because i think this alabama team is is good i think they are legitimately going to be a a contender in the sec which i don't know that people necessarily thought before the 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 year but they look good nobody's going to remember in three weeks that texas won these ugly Hmm. that's that's really like nobody's going to care 
when Texas is in the middle of marching through the Big 12 that they beat Alabama ugly twice. It doesn't matter. It's a, it's a W, and it does it won't matter when things come up, especially because Texas got it done the way Texas is going to get it done a lot this year, which is the pitching, and it happened again on Sunday. And we talked about it uh, in our preview that Texas had a bit of struggle on Sundays, and, and Tanner Witt is doing his best to rewrite that story. Went six, gave up four hits, just one earned run, walked one, and struck out nine in two starts, two Sunday starts, gone 11 innings, given up just nine hits and just two earned runs, struck out 14 in 11 innings. So Tanner Witt is taking it upon himself to uh, put a stranglehold on that Sunday spot, and maybe Sunday will be the premier starter moving forward based upon what Tanner Witt's doing from the bump. I know I love it. I love uh, I love the way it's set up with with you know Pete being a, a come out of the gates can't do much off him. Wit having the nastiest stuff on Sundays, and then just your Saturdays, your Mister Consistent Stevens. Like I, I kind of think this is. I didn't know this, but if I had to draw up a, a blueprint going forward, I think this is what Pierce is going to try to recreate. Uh, I just like it. You put your power stuff first. You close with your guy who's just, you know, you've already seen Texas pitchers a bit, and he's got the nastiest stuff of the bunch in wit. You know, I, I like the way it's constructed, but you do have to say, as good as the pitchers were, yet again, a name you've heard us saying a lot in this series and so far this season with the bat, not just with the glove, but when it was tied 1-1 in the bottom of the six, it was Trey Faltini who came up with a bases loaded single to score two and, and give them the lead that they never surrendered. That was 3-1. They scored the next at bat thanks to Dylan Campbell, a guy who I, I, I love and I just think fans are going to love more and more as the year goes on. Um, but yeah, I mean, this was one I liked that they, they did get the bats going. 13 hits in this one, especially uh, coming later in the game. Only four strikeouts, which you really like to see. And again, that, that stat out of advancement opportunities they hit 522 in those advancement uh, opportunity at bat so really like what the bats did on sunday and and the arms just consistent of course you know uh wit had to go and blow the the perfect uh no runs allowed uh, from the pitching staff no i kid uh i think they've given up four earned runs this season so um they're doing they're doing pretty unbelievable i mean yeah and you saw the bats warm up because maybe the temperature warmed up a little bit. I'm not saying, um, I'm just saying, but heading into Tuesday's game, Texas led the NCAA in ERA with a .5 ERA, giving up... Uh, That's a, a 0 They're one of three teams in the country with a sub-1 ERA. UCF has a .86, and Tennessee has a .89. I think, I'm I'm just going to put this out there. This is my bold prediction, my Pods are prediction. I think it's going to be Texas and Tennessee in the championship this, this, uh, the end of the year. It's just, they're the two best pitching teams in the country. I'll just go ahead and say it flat out. Uh, They're both very, very good baseball teams. Uh, I think that could be it. But tied for top of the nation with four shutouts already this year, uh, 9.75 strikeouts per nine innings. Uh, it's just they're they're pitching incredibly. And if you saw me put it out there on Twitter earlier, uh, our friend uh, Stats O'War runs CFBGraphs.com, and he is going to start putting out baseball advanced stats. And so we'll keep you up to date with that. I won't nerd out too much on, uh, on it as it stands right now. But as it stands right now for Texas – Currently leading Sam Houston State 10 to 1 in the top of the seventh. They're about to probably score another one because Trey Faltini is standing on third base currently. 
and and Gerald, I don't want to get too far ahead without you know uh, looking just to this weekend, right? When we said uh, some of the best teams in the country uh, are Texas, Tennessee. You could throw LSU in that mix as well. Uh, UCLA is a pretty darn good team. Yeah, that just happens to be Texas' next opponents this weekend in Houston. I'll be there for the Sunday game uh, against UCLA, uh, but Friday. Tennessee uh, at 7 p.m., Saturday at 7 p.m., UCLA. Again, all these games in the Shriners Classic will be at Minute Maid as they were last year. Um, And, yeah, you're right. What ended up happening was that uh, Arkansas finished the year number number one in the regular season last year, and Mississippi State, uh, you know, was the national champions, and those were two of the three teams, and Ole Miss, you know, a top ten team, uh, two of the three teams that Texas faced last year. So this is a really good early season test to really get a barometer for how good this team is because they've played, you know, decent teams. I think Rice is is, is solid. I think Bama is good. Uh, they they played a midweek game at, at Tamuk. Uh, and they played a you know a solid Sam Houston team. Sam Houston beat uh, Oklahoma State, who I think is is a really good team this year. Um, so you know I'm not taking anything away from Sam Houston, um, but against the midweek game, so they will find out with a really really tough weekend uh, series against those three. Uh, if you're in Houston, try to get those tickets. It's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun. Get out to the juice box and check it out again. I think it's gonna be a preview of the national championship series on Friday. Texas advances to 47. 47- and six at the dish this decade and they'll have a chance to improve on that on Tuesday against Texas State but before that again big weekend series the Shiners Hospital for Children Classic so now we're gonna crack open a banquet beer and down the 40 championship edition number one men and number three women's track swept the big 12 indoor championships for the second year in a row, just the second program ever to complete the feat in Big 12 history. Just absolutely incredible performance from both the men and the ladies in this one. That's right. The uh, The number one ranked women uh, set the precedent with five individual wins, 131 uh, points to take their fifth straight Big 12 indoor title. Um, there were some some really solid perform- individual performances on both the men's and women's, starting with the women's. Uh, Davicia Patterson defended her 600-yard title from last year with a winning time of 119.41. Brooke Jaworski also defending her 800 with a personal best just over uh, to 203.87. Um, and uh, I liked in that 800, uh, Valerie Tobias got tripped but she got up to finish seventh and still added two points to the you know to to the overall win total. So just wanted to give her a a shout out. And the um, the the first sweep of the day was the Longhorns in the four hundred uh, meter with Kennedy Simon diving across the finish line. I always love to see that uh, with a fifty one fifty four in the four hundred to win it, beating out her teammates who she dove ahead of Stacey Ann Williams in in uh, in second and uh, Rashidat. Adela Kelly. Yeah, that's, you know, you know, she knows. So thanks. Thanks for listening, Rashidat. Uh, You know that uh, that Kyle loves to butcher a name. So my apologies. Uh, (laughs) But finish the sweep out coming in to third. So uh, there, there was there was good performance. I did want to shout out Tyra Gittins as well, who, again, was a was a one of the three best track athletes last year, the finalist for the Bowerman award who uh, switched from a and This is her first conference, big 12 conference debut. She's been sec her whole undergrad uh, first three years and uh, finished second in the high jump with a mark of six foot five half inches. 
So she could definitely clear Kyle. Um, <laughs> the final sweep came from the 200-meter sprinters. Julian Alfred claimed the event with a time of 22.89. Kennedy Flanell, friend of the show, 23.02. And Kavana Davis finished third, 23. On the men's side, number three men's won its second straight indoor title in even more dominant fashion, winning five events with uh, totaling 171 points. My man. Bayesian stand-up Jonathan Jones recorded the world's best 600 defending his title with a time of one minute, six seconds, and 68 hundredths of a second. It was just absolutely incredible, blazing speed. Very excited to see him continue to uh, put up, I almost said big numbers, but I guess small numbers on the track. Yeah, that's a reminder. That's the, the, the best Barbados record. It's the best UT rest record. It's the best collegiate record because it's the best. That is the single fastest a human being in recorded history has ever run 600 yards. Um, so unbelievable showing from him. That's amazing. That's a 400 plus another 200 in just over a minute. Hard pass. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and you know, a good friend of the pod, Rihanna, we know you're listening. Uh, if you could uh, tweet a shout out uh, to your fellow Bajan. Gerald, can we get an update? Has, did this come in, in your dad's newsletter? Has the newsletter come out yet? What's the cadence on that? Uh, he has not updated me on it. He's, he, <laughs> okay. he's We talked about how not online he is. He's also <laughs> bad about having his cell phone on him. Uh, so I haven't gotten a text from him in a couple of days. I'll, I'll okay. check it and see where he's at. All right, fair enough. There were some other incredible showings uh, from the Brothers Papiri as well. Trip won his eighth conference shot put po- title in, indoor or uh, outdoor. Um, he remains undefeated this season and posted four of his six throws over 21 meters. Again, the only person in the conference to uh, to do that was him, and he did it four times. Uh, it, it, brother Patrick finished second place uh, with an 18.9 meter throw, which is nothing to scoff at. Trip is definitely still the 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 big bro, right? You still got a little bit to, to shoot for Patrick, uh, get over that 20 meters and then maybe Trip will 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 talk. Uh, the, but the men's relay of said Jonathan Jones, John Moss, Willington Wright and Brian Heron broke the UT program record with a winning time of three minutes uh, and four seconds and Yusuf Bizamana and Creighton Carosa exchanged first and second basically in the distance runs uh the mile in the 800 uh Yusuf B defended his mile title with a time of under four minutes that's 359.85 while uh, Carosa came in second with 359.99 that's still under four minutes uh and uh, Carosa won the 800 uh, at 147.22 while Bizima came in second at 147.78 They're fast. That's all I'm going to say. Absolutely. Uh, That's just frustrating. Next up. I say it's frustrating because I'm very, very slow. Next up for Texas, NCAA Indoors will be held in Birmingham, Alabama on the 11th of this month. So they'll have an opportunity to uh, go for some natties, putting up some big time. So they probably have a legit shot at it. Moving to the natatorium, number one slash number two, men's and women's swimming also swept the conference championship round uh, with the men winning the and yet another. Eddie Reese came out of retirement. He came back like Jordan wearing the 4-5 to win another conference championship for Texas. Kyle's going to try to stump me on this one, but go <laughs> ahead, Kyle. Throw your trivia at me. Gerald, uh, predating the music television channel, MTV, predating uh <laughs> Michael Jordan having sneakers predating um 
most of Prince's catalog predating. I'd have to look <laughs> at which exact Michael Jackson album. Uh, so I, maybe I'm helping you a little bit here. But can you guess how many consecutive titles Eddie Reese has won? Uh, big. Uh, I'll say. Another hint, dating back to the Southwest Conference, not just Big 12, but conference championships consecutively for Eddie Reese in the men's team only. It's got to be like 40-plus. It is 43, Gerald. It is, it oh is long, longer than you or I have seen uh, th- this earth. It is 43 consecutive years when there is a conference title to win, and Eddie Reese wins it. My, my man Yoda, the, the, the maestro of the pool, just it's, – it's, it's stupid. I, I – I think it's relatively easy to say <laughs> that he is the most dominant coach of any sport in the history of college sports. I don't know who can argue with that. Who can act like there's no arguments with it. And Texas also has what I think Eddie Reese has what 15 national mm-hmm. championships to go mm-hmm. with 43 conference championships. But uh, Carson Foster brought home the men's swimmer of the meet won the 200 backstroke, uh, the 200 medley and the 400 medley. Uh, Andrew Harness won the diver of the meet double wins in the three uh, meter springboard and platform newcomer of the meet Tim Connery, not to be confused with Sean Connery. The freshman had three, top four results won the hundred fly third in the 200 i am and fourth in the hundred free texas set some records in this championship run the 200 medley relay the 800 free relay the 400 i am the 100 breast and the 400 free relay all record times for texas the ladies not to be outdone Swept literally every event they possibly could. Actually did better than the men. The men Mm -hmm. only got 18. The ladies took all 21 to win their 10th consecutive Big 12 title under Carol Capitani. Yeah, she has has been here 10 years. So since she showed up, she's trying to get Eddie Reese kind of thing started. Uh, 10 for 10, which wasn't for dang Eddie Reese. That would be like blowing minds how impressive that is. But, uh, you know, just 10. She's only got three more solid decades to, to, to get in Eddie territory. So no pressure there, Coach Capitani. Um, similarly, UT swept the swimmers of the meet. Women's swimmer of the week was Kelly Pash. Uh, three individual victories. Uh, second consecutive year, her being the swimmer of the meet, the Big 12 championships. Diver of the meet was Haley Hernandez. The freshman came in and swept the, s- the springboard competition, uh, just doing what she has done all year. And the women's newcomer uh, of the meet was Erica Sullivan. Uh, another freshman had the victory in the 16 16- 53 her second win of the week also winning the 500 uh, on thursday um so this one was they set not just big 12 championship meet but all time ever big 12 records in the 200 medley relay 400 medley relay 100 fly 100 breast 100 back and 200 breast those are all the best times in uh big 12 history keep on keeping on ladies the next up is the american short course championship this week in austin and then the NCAA Diving Championships on the 7th. Bring home some more hardware to the championship hall. Number 11, women's basketball puts up another pair of wins over some purple teams this time, thank the Lord, to extend their win streak to 6. They outlast Kansas State 62-51 to 51 in Manhattan in Kansas, the Little Apple, and then absolutely just stomp a mud hole and walk it dry against TCU 77-42. to 42. Good gravy. Yeah, and in... in- Against both teams, they got out early and just like a dog with a bone, they weren't giving it up. They led twenty to nine after the first in the against KSU never trailed again. Remember, this is uh, a Kansas State team with a uh, the a scorer who set the all time women's single game record earlier this year. 
against OU, which is great. Uh, but scoring 61, they held said score to 10 points. Aoka had 10 points, so that's uh, just in- incredible. Uh, Aoka Lee, the top five scorer in the country right now, the the only non-guard to be averaging over 20 points a game. So Texas is shut down. Uh, they, they'll shut down your guards with pressure. They'll shut down your bigs. Um, so they, uh, they looked like... It looked like Vic's team in both of these games. Like it was exactly what he wanted. They won the rebound advantage. They they shot well from the field. They they forced turnovers. Didn't commit turnovers. Um, Ali Matharu had a game high sixteen uh, in the first one. Lauren Ebo eleven and eight. Jat ten. Rory nine and four. Um, you're getting a list of usual suspects, and 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 <laughs> I love it. Absolutely, and the big thing for. Well, one, the biggest thing for Texas this year is a 35-point win being their largest conference win this year. But, like, that TCU game, um, I'm surprised Vic Schaefer's coat came off. But he, I've never seen a man more frustrated by a 14-point lead. Like, it's just like, it should, I feel like Vic wanted it to be 60 at that point. I was like, dude, mm-hmm. it's the second quarter. Like, chill. <laughs> but Texas forced 26 turnovers to, to convert 38 points on yeah. that and and Vic Schaefer took shots at Texas fans last week um, and the reason why I love Coach Schaefer is he's the kind of person the kind of leader that when he gets on you for doing bad he's going to get on you for doing good when you fix it and so he he absolutely praised the Texas fans for being there for that TCU game Texas had some uh, some as some football athletes were there, you know, Xavier Worthy is a guy I, like that dude is just a statesman for the university at this point. And I absolutely love it. Uh, but he was there with uh, DeMarvin Overshown, uh, Quinn Ewers and Jake Majors all showed there as well. And so Texas fans got out there. And, and again, the men's game was not the last one in the Urban Center. The ladies have one coming up that you can get out there and cheer for as well. Yeah, absolutely. And there were two unfortunate late injuries in this one where uh, Audrey Warren and Deanna Gaston, who was just having herself a game, uh, she was eight for eight in this one. The school record all time for, you know, no misses is 10. Um, so if she didn't go out in the third quarter, maybe she could have uh, set that record, but was eight for eight for 16 points, the game high. Um, and we hope that. Ho- both her and Warren will be there for the home stretch uh, in, in the postseason as well because they're important parts. But an interesting thing, Shea Holly has now started the, the the past six games. Gerald, do you know how many uh, how many games the current win streak is for the Texas women's basketball team? Six. Yeah, it's six. That's right. So the the Vic, it's a coaching change, and it's also a, a praise to Shea Holly. She's she's brings the speed, the fast break runner, and good defense. I really like what she does with Warren coming off the the, the bench. So um, like where they're at a lot heading into postseason play coming up soon and uh in in march you know after that great run you just this is what vic does and in fact 20 wins is what vic does is the ninth consecutive season with 20 wins um even even south carolina where don staley is you know the new coach du jour has not uh, has not done that um so i think uh vic is in rarefied air uh in in his consistency both at mississippi state and now obviously Texas women have an opportunity to uh, close out the Irwin Center, at least for the regular season. They're on the road against Kansas uh, tomorrow before uh, Oklahoma State on Saturday. Hopefully they can get that win streak to eight games. Rory Harmon will try to be uh, try to extend her number of Freshman of the Week awards to five after winning her fourth this year. And Texas, four players in the academic All-Big 12. I, I know that Coach Schaefer loves to see the on-the-court accolades, but uh, I feel like he also takes great pride in this one as well. 
And I never shy away from uh, reminding people that senior Joanne Allen Taylor uh, has made this every year. She's been on. She's also a mechanical engineer. So she's legit, <laughs> like, very smart. Uh, she's a fantastic basketball player, knows how to score the basketball and do all kinds of things on the court. But, yes, she's also legitimately very, very smart. All these women that were named are, are of course, uh, very smart to, to you know win this honor. But, again, doing it as a mechanical engineer and in season, I just that's unbelievable so kudos and congrats to to all of uh all of those women on the court as well as off you're telling me joanne allen taylor can both run circles around us both on the basketball court and the classroom (laughs) i feel some kind of way about that it's number five women's women's tennis goes one and one in the bay their six straight top 15 matchup they lost to stanford five to two on saturday but then ended up beating number six cal four to three on sunday First in-season ITA National Top 125 singles rankings came out this week. Peyton Stearns, Kylie Collins, uh, Malakia Rapolu all made the list. And then uh, the doubles team of Charlotte Sh- Sh- Shadi Fapon, what we're going with, and Kylie Collins ranked number 13, 36, excuse me, ranked number 36 in the country. On the men's side, the ITA rankings for them as well. Um, freshman Pierre-Yves Bailey was number 17. Micah Braswell at number 72. Siam Oladab at 104. And Richard Siamara at number 114. On the double side, Siamara and Harper, Cleve Harper were number 38. Oladab and Elliot Spaziri at number 46. Uh, Siamara and Spaziri also, again, he gets to show up twice, number 54. The men are taking a week off before heading out on the road to take number 15, Georgia, in Athens on Tuesday. At McCombs Field, Texas hosted not one, not two, not three, but four games and got back to their winning ways, topping UTSA 8-0 thanks to a strong outing from Sophia Simpson. Pitched six innings, struck out 12. First career no-hitter for her. Lauren Burke hit her first home run of the year in that one as well. Tulsa 14-1. to They got a run rule. Second one of the year. Estelle Check got one in the win column as well after four innings and four strikeouts on uh, the Next one against Tulsa, Haley Dolcini finally got another one in the win column as well. Pitched six, struck out seven. Freshman catcher Katie Simmons out of Atascacita High School hits her first collegiate home run to take a 1-0 lead. Former number, she was the number 28 recruiter thing in last year's class. And then Texas closed out the weekend 5-2 to two, uh, win over Texas State. Uh, actually, a come-from-behind win thanks to Lauren Burke laying down an RBI double to score uh, Simmons. In that one, Shane O'Leary, again, trying to get back in the rhythm, gave up two runs in that one, got pulled in the third. Uh, Sophia Simpson actually got the win on that one, taking on Sam Houston on Wednesday. Gerald, I want to I want to jump in here just a second because I am very excited to talk about this one. Number twelve women's golf uh, is currently in fourth after two rounds at the Darius Rucker Invitational, two strokes off second. Gerald, I I, I think they have uh, time to get back in this one, um, and uh, you know they 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 just want to hold that that club just wants to hold your hand uh, for these women uh, as they uh, come up. Darius Rucker, by the way, graduate of South Carolina, makes sense, but also an avid uh, golfer. He's played in the Pebble, Pebble Beach Pro-Am many times. Uh, he accompanied the 2016 Ryder team, was a VIP guest, and uh, this was my favorite. He sang 
at Tiger Woods's wedding, but then also sang at Tiger's dad's funeral. So he's obviously very close with the Woods family, uh, just plugged into the golf scene. But it will never not be funny that Hootie uh, has this. But the, the, the crazy thing about this is this event actually made history as the first all-women's regular season collegiate golf tournament to be aired live on the Golf Channel. And, of course, the women are, uh, are showing out, playing really well. They're in second place after the opening round. They're just a couple shots uh, off of that spot. Now they have two in the top four and three in the top 20 after 36. Uh, number 16, men's golf, also uh, finishing just before we record this. Finished third at the Southern Highlands Golf Club in Las Vegas minutes uh, before we're going on air here. They had a 29 under, which is a really good score, two off second place. Uh, they finished ultimately behind the number one and number five teams ahead of four other top 25 teams. And the the, the exciting thing here, of course, uh, the guys who finished in the top 10 should be noted. Cole Hammer uh, tied for second at 11 under. Travis Rick at seventh at uh, nine under. And Mason Nome came in uh, 10th at eight under. But the fourth score on this is a name you might remember. We are one Cootie uh, the Wiser. Parker is back. Pearson still, he said, is probably a couple weeks behind him. They're hoping uh, two to three weeks he might be able to get back. Uh, but Parker, in his first action back, was one under through three rounds. Mentioned that he still has – it takes him a while to get his arm warm. He does can't just go out and do what he used to do. So he's, he said he's not 100%, but he didn't um, want to miss the opportunity. And it feels like they are one elite score, which is a Pearson cootie, away uh, from, from winning tournaments uh, again. But the, this one – uh, the team came out and showed out and uh, had a really good performance. One cootie is better than none, but two is twice the fun. All right, Gerald, besides golf, uh, swimming, baseball, basketball, and all manner of Texas sports, what have you been watching on your giant screen as we go to Godzilla Tron? So my wife and I just finished a New Girl rewatch, and that show holds up. It, it is one of the shows that I'm tempted to just finish it and then immediately run it back. Like, just so good. The way that, like, the there are so many shows that, like, don't stick the landing with finale, and New Girl is absolutely not one of them. Um, there's, like, like, the flash forwards usually seem cheesy, and this one totally did it. And then just literally, like, up until the end, you had you laughing, had you rolling. Prank Sinatra, just, baby. I'm telling you, I don't want to spoil it for those that haven't. If you haven't watched New Girl, yeah. like that is such an incredible, like the the way that show ends. So we loved it. And then uh, my wife and I started Abbott Elementary. If you haven't heard of it, uh, it is a sitcom on on ABC uh, that's kind of done in the style of The Office. It's like that mockumentary thing, um, but it's set at an inner city school in Philadelphia, and it's just it has a lot to funny things to say, funny and or sad things to say about the state of uh, public. Uh, education, especially in inner city schools and funding and those types of things, but really witty show, really well written, uh, just very, very funny. So we are currently trying to catch up because I think the finale is here in a couple weeks. So we are excited about that. I've heard really good things about Abbott Elementary. I might have to, uh, might have to check it out. Um, I, I finished, I'll, I'll start comedy, start light since uh, you're, you're hitting that note. I did finish uh, season two of Righteous Gemstones, which is uh, utterly righteous. I think the second season was was flawless, and um, it's a it's a Danny McBride show. There's all that type of humor, so know yes. that if if you, if you if you're just taking Gerald and Mai's recommendation, know that all the caveats that come with an HBO Danny McBride show. There's there's juvenile humor and lewdness, and and all they take advantage of the HBO nudity policies and all those things, but. It's a very funny show. Um, it, it's it's great, great, great satire. Um, and I wasn't sure how they were going to come back in season two. If you've 
watch season one and not two and the storyline kind of felt like it wrapped up and then where do they go next they did a really good job uh, of introducing kind of a new element and i think they'll do well i think it just got renewed for three and four so it'll be around for a little while so very good like season two a lot um very much wanted to go hit the gym from watching uh, the the uh, the Lord's Muscle Warriors. But uh, speaking of some actual warriors, I finished Band of Brothers, and man, it it like it awed me a bit. I, I like I said, I listened to the podcast after each episode, of the official HBO podcast, and it was great. Um, but I just ended up doing also like a three hour wiki dive on World War II history, um, and, and just you know things that I knew and forgot or things that I didn't know, um, and and it's crazy. It's so well done, of course, but the story, just the fact of where they start, where they touch, and 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 you know, all the way to the eagle's nest, right? To to you know, they were in Hitler's like you know eagle's nest in in the the uh, Alps uh, vacation town, right? It's it's uh, like their story is wild, true. Every piece of it is true, but it's just wild. Um, but uh, they're this penultimate episode is where they discover a concentration camp and I didn't know that that was coming. Um, and it caught me by surprise and my jaw, like I think my jaw was dropped for 20 straight minutes. It's one of the most powerful episodes of TV I I've ever seen. Um, it, it's, it's just really well done. And, and I mean like it left an indelible mark. I'll do a rewatch at some point of the show. And I wonder how I'll experience it knowing that was coming because yeah, you just didn't. And I guess maybe it made sense, but I, I don't know. It, it, it knocked me off my feet, but it was it was really well done. They were honest, but they didn't linger to just make it feel bad. But it was brutal and honest. And man, it was it was a tough hang, but um, just a part of a really good show. A piece of ten ish hours of phenomenal television. Yeah, HBO had a had a streak going of of like historical and or war related. Uh, miniseries or limited series, I guess they call them now, that are just were absolutely incredible. Uh, it's 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 such it's one of those that like you want to rewatch it, but it's also like, do I want to rewatch this because mm-hmm. it's just it's it's raw and it's honest and they don't cut away in all of those uh, all of those moments. But uh, yeah, it's it's so good. So that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics: Big Bertha, and we bang the drum. Brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So Kyle. What are you bringing the drum on this week? We mentioned a couple different times that Texas still has basketball to play at the Frank Irwin Center. They're not demolishing it today. You know, there there still is some basketball to happen. And as much as you and I both love Vic Schaefer, he is a man who is putting his money where his mouth is, I think is the way to, to, to say this. So he said they blew the roof off on the, uh, the the run in the second quarter of the TCU game, but TCU was in in last place, you know, in the conference. They knew that they were going to win that game. Uh, Oklahoma State is a, is a better team, but Texas still should be favored, and Texas is trying to get the notes just perfect after, you know, a good Kansas team. They will have one last primer before the Big 12 championship and, again, their their March run uh, to try to replicate last season. But for the seniors, and there, there are a couple. I mean, Audrey Warren, Joanne Allen, Taylor um, have kind of been the vocal heartbeats. Shea Holly was before Coach Vicks. He's not a senior, but before that tenure. So there's some players where the chemistry changes a bit as some players – from previous generations of the fabric that held them together, move on. So this is the last game for, for people who've played four years in the Irwin Center. Um, and so Coach Rick really wanted to get, for the seniors especially, for senior night, the fans out. There's no uh, more men's basketball. So if you didn't get a chance or you just want one more Irwin Center, if you want to support the women, if you want to support Coach Vic, then Saturday at the Irwin Center would be a great time to go. And it would be a great time regardless. But 
Vic Schaefer up the ante. If 10,000 fans attend the game on Saturday, Coach Schaefer is going to donate $10,000 to the Longhorn uh, Neighborhood Longhorns program. So if you needed more incentive, take money out of Vic Schaefer's pocket and put it into an, an incredibly good cause and uh, support a women's team that deserves it, that plays fantastic basketball. And, you know, if you're going to get out there for one game, make it the last one in regular season at the Irwin Center ever speaking of purple power tcu just upset kansas just throwing that out there in basketball 74 to 64 so um big 12 continues to be spicy texas uh, the big 12 may legitimately have like seven ncaa tournament teams i think that win probably puts tcu in we're on tcu podcast though and i'm banging the drum this week on um a hire and a resignation that happened all within about 48 hours of each other, rightfully so. Uh, so if you've been living under a rock, you may have missed this, but uh, Art Bryles, who's a just troll, terrible of a human being, uh, was announced to be the um, the offensive coordinator at Grambling under Hugh Jackson. And as it should be, most people who are kind of in and, and understand college football in college athletics and in college campuses, we're pretty upset about this for various reasons, but one of which being that Art Bryles is a, just a terrible human being and there are other people that probably deserve this opportunity. And and there are two things to say about this. One, like Grambling hem, hemmed and hawed about this hire and they tried to put out a, a statement that's basically saying that like commenting on Art Bryles' past is going to re-traumatize people. I'm like, no, hiring a guy who enabled sexual assaults on, on his football team is going to re-traumatize people. But that's another conversation. Like if you are going to hire Art Bryles and, and really tacitly say that you care more about winning the character, just own it. Like that that's to me is one of the one of the big things is like if you're if that's who you want to be I, I disagree with that choice but then just don't hem and haw about it don't talk out of both sides of your mouth just own that you're like yes we we know who art browse is and we think he can bring something to the football team i think that's the wrong way to go about it but like just own your stuff but the other thing is like there's this conversation happening about art browse and like his need for redemption and don't people deserve second chances and blah 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 right and Yes, I firmly believe that people deserve redemption and second chances. I was a youth pastor for seven years. That was my life, was, was deep redemption and second chances for people, and third chances and fourth chances. Because if you've ever been around teenagers, they tend to make a lot of mistakes. But what I don't see from Art Bryles that, in my mind, is requisite of somebody getting a second chance is a commitment to changing behavior and improving who you are and how you view the world. Right, Art Bryles, air quotes, apologized for what happened at Baylor, but then went right back to doing all of the same things and being the same person that he always was. And as time has gone by, he's become less and less repentant of essentially creating an environment in which his players had open season and females on campus. And the only reason, and this is the thing, like everyone's like, well, but he was cleared, he was cleared. He was cleared because Baylor as an institution was so bad at Title IX that he just fell in line with everything else. That that was just who Baylor was at that point. And so Art Bryles is who he is. Because you know what? When he was a high school coach in his redemption season and his attempt at coming back, he played ineligible players. Nearly had to forfeit games because he played ineligible players. I am fine with redemption stories. I love a second chance. Again, Youth pastor, seven years. But 
For you to earn and deserve a second chance, you have to show that you've changed and grown and learned from the mistake. And I have not seen that from Art Browse. And until I have seen that from Art Browse, I will stand on every soapbox and every table I can and say that man should not be around young men, should not be shaping the minds of young men, and does not deserve an unearned second chance. Preach. That's beautiful. I couldn't say a single thing better, so I will take the opposite tone, Gerald, because you nailed that, um, and just say Art Browse did not make his time at uh, in the HBCU world. He did not make a full Scaramucci, which uh, a Scaramucci is a unit, a measure of time that is 11 days. Um, and I'll let you Google exactly why that is. Um, but he did not make a Scaramucci. I believe the official um, metric system conversion is a Micromucci is 11 hours. A Millamucci is 1.1 days. A Scaramucci is 11. A month of Mucci, of course, would be 33 days. Um, so I think a, uh, a Scaramucci, uh, he, he's between a Millamucci and a Scaramucci there. Not 11 days, but more than 1.1. So um, good for you, Art. I guess in all sense of the words, a deuce, a moochie, but that's all we've got for you <laughs> this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? You can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can also follow the Texas pregamer at Texas pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at G H. Go to a trial show on Twitter at Longhorn pod, Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Shoot us an email. Longhorn Republic pod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook up, hook up. Horns up for you. Great.